0: After they left that hospital room, I had a thought come through my head that I have never had before in my life, and I've never had since. And that thought that went through my head was, if you live through this, if you get out of this hospital, I'm going to find one of those old guys with that big book in their hand and that smile on their face, and I'm going to do every single thing that's in that book. And in case anybody can't tell, I'm not a guy that listens to anybody So I have no idea where that thought came from. I got a pretty good idea now, 17 years later.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. in the heart of texas to me amigos and me amigas that was the voice of mr rich b that you heard at the beginning of this episode here number episode 208 or dos zero ocho or 208 you know what i'm saying Anyway, that was the voice of Mister Rich, but first, and you're going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, and forgive me, I gotta, uh, I'm gotta catch up on a few folks here. This episode is brought to you by Ian and Tim and Terry and Kurt and Joshua and Dave and Jason and Joni and Laura and Jane and Tanya, and I even have an anonymous in there. So you ask, what exactly did Ian and Tim and Terry and Kurt and Joshua and Dave and Jason and Joni and Laura and Jane and Tanya do? Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website. Soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yeller donate tab and they made a, a contribution. Thank you for helping us keep the virtual lights on. Ian and Tim and Terry and Kurt and Joshua and Dave and Jason and Joni and Laura and Jane and Tanya and Anonymous. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I John M. will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged. Once again, you can't see it, but I've got my little namaste hands up right here. Truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. And remember, No matter who you are or what your past looks like, you're welcome here. It is an open table for all, and we're glad you have joined us. I am going to get right into our guest this week because this is absolutely fantastic. I know you're going to enjoy this one. It is Mr. Rich B, and this one is entitled Stupidly Smart Drunk, and it'll become very apparent why we called it that while we're as you're listening to the episode. Um, Rich is a surfer from the Ocean City, Maryland area. I guess not from the Ocean City, Maryland area. He is from Ocean City, Maryland. We talk about all kinds of topics, and this is just a sampling, if you will. We talk about the difference between wisdom and being book smart, the alcoholic double life You've got to hear a story about being on the bus with Nikki and Reed. And one of my favorite quotes from the episode is, a clear conscience makes a soft pillow. Oh, isn't that the case? We talk about the delusion of the alcoholic mind. We talk about a term Rich uses here. He calls it being boogered. You'll just have to listen in to see what he means by that. And he also talks about being a, quote, warrant drinker. (laughs) What that means? He talks about the joy of his mother's couch, of mom's couch. And then finally, well, this is finally at least what I want to tell you about, is he talks about Jeannie, excuse me, Janine and her duckies. You got to listen in to hear what he has to say about that. So, Ladies and gents, without further ado, please help me welcome Mr. Rich B. And Rich B will be not on only this week, this week, but we will have a follow-up next week for Rich with part two. I know you're gonna enjoy this one. I absolutely enjoyed it so much spending time with Rich. And just keep in mind, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this ep. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Rich, and Rich is sitting. Well, Rich, first of all, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself, give your sobriety date, if you would please, and let people know where you are in this great land of ours, please.
0: You bet. My name is Rich B. I am from Ocean City, Maryland, a little island off the coast of Maryland, where seven miles long by one mile wide pack full of alcoholics. Uh, My sobriety date is August the 30th of 04. And uh, as you may note, today is August 21st. So I'm nine days away from uh, going around the globe without a drink orbiting the sun sober for one more year.
1: (laughs) Going around, orbiting the sun or going around the globe. That's great. And so 2004, that is help me with the math there. I'll be 17. Wow. Congratulations on 17 years. That's absolutely fantastic. And your uh, home group, I believe is the primary purpose group. Is that right?
0: You're correct. We are a big book study on Thursday nights here in Ocean City, Maryland. We go from 7 to 8.15, and we do our best to bring an old textbook from 1939 to life for the hip, slick, and cool kids of <laughs>
1: 2021. <laughs> oh, I love it. And you know Charlie P., do you? He's a great friend. Great friend. Yeah. He, uh, he's been on many times talking about the primary purpose group and kind of working through the steps and such. And a lot of our listeners have actually ended up joining their, I think it's a Tuesday night meeting that they have on zoom. Now they're, they're not located in Austin. So they do, ju- they join the uh, big book group that, uh, uh Charlie has there, but, Anyway, uh, I'm, I, Charlie's just a, a fantastic guy. All right. So let's start here a little with Mr. Rich and from Ocean City, Maryland. Um, Rich, why don't you go ahead? Now I've heard a little bit of your story. Oh, one thing I did want to let people know is that Rich and I came across each other because uh, our both of our good friends, Mr. Matthew M., who's been on the podcast many time, referred me over to you. I happy to, if I'm Rich online. I was able to listen to a couple things. Absolutely loved it. And I've been really, really looking forward to having Rich on. So Rich, let's go ahead and start off a little bit with your background. I know it was a little chaotic and not really because of the people around you, if you will. It was more uh, rich be infused with chaoticism, if you will. So why don't you give people kind of a thumbnail sketch of your background growing up, where you came from and all that kind of stuff?
0: I grew up in a really nice part of... Baltimore, Maryland and, uh, out in the suburbs on a little horse farm and nobody in my whole family drinks, no mother, father. I've, they're both just wonderful, moral, loving, amazing people. Um, father was. He's no longer with us. I have one little sister. Her name's Whitney. She's never had a drink. No aunts and uncles drink. No grandparents drink. Uh, so for any uh, geneticists out there that feel that alcoholism is <laughs> is passed on that way, you may be right. Uh, but certainly not in my case. My sponsor seems to think that I became alcoholic by drinking too much. <laughs> So I'm going to put a plug in for drinking. If you're alcoholic and trying to figure out how it happened, it may have something to do with drinking. <laughs> Might also be genetic, but what do I know? I'm an idiot on an island off of Maryland.
1: <laughs> okay, so you're growing up in this uh, fairly normal, or normal, from for lack of a better word, family. Uh, and so when did your alcoholism slash drug addiction, whatever you want to talk about, start to raise its ugly head?
0: I would say I first experienced that magic. Um, really the disease portion, I think reared its head before the solution portion, which was the drinking in my case, right? When I first did, you know, experience drinking, It it put out the fire in my life of what was going on, the discomfort, uh, which is what makes me alcoholic. I think the only thing that makes me any different than my wife, who is not alcoholic, is that, you know, somewhere around five drinks, I experience ease and comfort. She doesn't, you know, she just keeps on suffering. Uh, but what I actually suffer from is a sense of conscious separation, and I began to experience that in third grade. Uh, my parents saved up their hard-earned money to save me to send me to a private school, and I didn't see it that way. I was angry at them, you know, for about twenty years, as a matter of fact, and I, I didn't understand why you would rip a kid away from his friends and. His comfort zone and a school he very much enjoyed, uh, to go on a long school bus ride, uh, with kids you don't know that were in a different socioeconomic class that picked on me. Um, I, I found out that, you know, they said we were poor. Nobody had ever told me that before, but third graders, they don't hold back. They just tell you how it is. They're like a good sponsor at an early age. Right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and I was uncomfortable there until about seventh or eighth grade. Um, Nobody told me in my alcoholism that one day I was going to meet John and be on a podcast or NAA, or I would have perhaps taken better notes. Um, But when you drink and drug like I do, there's certain details you just don't remember. And I think I was in seventh grade, but I couldn't swear to it. Some of the older kids said, you want to skip last class and do some drinking? Uh, And I said, you bet. Like I'd been doing that my whole life, right? When in fact, I'd never skipped any class. I was a good student. Uh, As I sit here today, I've never gotten a B. I don't know what a B looks like in any school, right? Uh, So that wasn't my problem, right? I didn't have academic problems, right? I had alcohol problems, But when they, it didn't seem like that on the front end, it seemed like I discovered this wonderful solution because when they said, do you want to skip last period and do some drinking? And I said, yes, Um, man, it was a game changer.
1: So. I, I want to talk to you real quick about that, where you said you, you've never gotten a B. I, 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 first of all, I cannot relate to that. <laughs> I am not in that camp. What, what has it been like growing up uh, in terms of uh, both your recovery and just personal in life, uh, not having to struggle whatsoever? scholastically and obviously that you're highly intelligent and I'm sure that's worth for you and against you. Can you talk about that a little?
0: My sponsor would love to talk about that a little because he, he he would, he would, he would quickly pipe up and say, oh, he's just been educated far beyond his natural intelligence. (laughs) He, He would also point out that there's a tremendous difference between wisdom, uh, and book smarts, uh, Silkworth, in, in the doctor's opinion, talks about synthetic knowledge, which, by the way, is all we do in our school systems, right? We, we teach each other things we invented, right? Such as math and these, the, the classics of literature. These are things man produced, right? And if you could remember those things that we made in the first place and spit them back out on paper, you get straight A's. And that doesn't make you wise. Wisdom is the ability to learn from the mistakes of others. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I can assure you, I've never learned from anyone's mistakes, but my own. I've had to make <laughs> each and every one of them, no matter what you tell me, no matter what you show me, I've got to try it myself because my case is different. Right.
1: Go ahead. So, so did you think, did that become a, an impediment, if you will, to getting sober, your intelligence?
0: Well, I thought I was right. That would, I would because of the grades and because mostly I, because I was celebrated right in our academic system, uh, a combination of academics and sports, I would win awards like cum laude and summa cum laude. And I would walk across stages and they would put sashes around me. Right. And the whole school would clap and and the headmasters and, and, and that's Hard to wrap your mind around uh, when you're getting arrested later that night and you're in the police station eating a cold bologna sandwich, right? How how can the smartest guy in ninth grade be eating a cold bologna sandwich in a jail cell two hours later? You know, well, alcoholism is the answer to that. So, I'm I'm a hundred percent convinced that alcoholism could care less what your IQ is, um, and if you suffer from you know self. Well, suffer from self, right? If you if you believe your own press that people are giving you, uh, the more accomplishments that I have in this world and the more feedback and plaques and awards and things the world gives me, the more it encourages a guy like me to run on self-will, which as we know is the opposite of what we're going to need to recover.
1: Did you feel like a hypocrite? I mean, do you remember having those feelings?
0: Oh my gosh. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. I get arrested a lot in high school, but because I'm a varsity athlete in three sports and because of my grades, they get me through high school. And I go on a full scholarship uh, to a Jesuit college in San Diego. I picked that school because it was 3,000 miles away uh, from my parents and their rules and values and integrity. And I've been a surfer i don't remember learning how to surf i've it would be like me asking you john tell me about your experience learning to walk right there's certain things we just don't remember and i wanted to be in san diego for the surfing um and the women and to be away from my parents and i should have looked into what jesuits i didn't even know what jesuits were right (laughs) and uh you know But that's how I operate. It's kind of ready, fire, aim. Right? We'll figure it out as we go. Keep your game face on. The last thing you want to let anyone know is that you don't know. Right? In my whole life, the only thing worse than not knowing is if you know, I don't know. Um, So, anyways, I'm going to that college. They're helping me pick the classes so that I can graduate in four years and go on to other things. Um, I'm playing Division One soccer at that school. So I have two practices a day in the morning and at night. Um, and then, you know, there are these four guys on the soccer team that are also on scholarship. Tijuana, Mexico is about 25 miles South of the university of San Diego. And because I came from this little horse family, uh, and I'm on scholarship in San Diego. I mean, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room to figure out that it's the guys with the stuff that are getting the women right? I was going to need a nice car and some nice clothes. Um, So these guys, these four other players on my team that were there from Tijuana, they each had like 50 cousins a piece that lived just across the border in Mexico. And they knew how to get this green stuff that these rich kids like smoking at the school. And and I start bringing that across and I'm shrink wrapping it uh, to mail it back east. Right. I didn't want to leave out any of my friends back home or certainly anyone in Texas that needed anything. And, uh, so now my day is getting really confusing, right? I, I, I have morning practice. I have Jesuit classes. I have to occasionally run down to Mexico, bring up this product. I have to spend my afternoon shrink wrapping in my room with one of those vacuum sealers. <laughs> a tiger won't eat what a tiger can't smell. And then I'm shipping this off. I've got evening practice. And now get this. Because, you know, of what my sponsor would tell you about my mind, he'd say he's not smart, he just remembers things, right? I'm a good rememberer, right? That's really all I am, it's a good rememberer. And I know from step six and seven in our program, I've done nothing to achieve that. Right. I could take no credit for that. I didn't go to remembering school. <laughs> I don't I don't stay up late doing remembering exercises. You know, they're, they're, you can either read a page. Right. There are people that could read a page and, and remember, I could tell you what page it's on roughly and where it is or you can't. Period. <laughs> and, uh, and that's confusing because you think you're doing something right and you're not. <laughs> um, but really that's all I am is a good remember. I read something and I spit it, but the school recognizes that. And they say, we want to start an office of alcohol and drug education here for the students. And we want to pick one student to be the founding father of the office of alcohol and drug education. And we want to get them certified as an alcohol and drug, you know, educator counselor. And the idea was that the students that are struggling This was an idea that they don't have to go to teachers or administrators. It would be a fellow student that would be certified to help them with their alcohol or addiction problem. And they send me to become that guy. (laughs) right? to start the founding father, right? They said, this is going to look really good on your resume. And I don't know about you, John, but I like looking good on paper. I don't like being good or acting good, right? But I like looking good. So they get me certified and I'm an alcohol and drug cat, right? So now here's my days. I have to get up early, go to the 6am soccer practice, go to the Jesuit practices, shrink wrap dope in the afternoon before I go to the (laughs) evening practice. And then I have to drink a lot because now I got office hours in the office of alcohol and drug education from seven to 10 PM every night where I have to counsel all of my fellow students with their alcohol and drug problem. Right. And by the way, I tell them like, you know, John, you look a little wound up, you know, I could tell you're experiencing some anxiety being away from home and your parents and here at college, you know, when we get out of here at 10 PM, when I'm finished office hours, if you want to stop by my dorm room, I could get you set up with a little, <laughs> you know, a little something to smoke. That'll help you take the edge off. And then I'd go home at 10 o'clock and have to drink enough to fall asleep. Right. Our book Ugh. says that the alcoholic often lives a double life. Right. And what I now know is that if I would have only had two, that would have been a wonderful thing. But at that point in my life, no two people in my life that loved or cared about me were getting the same story from me. And if they were ever in the same room at the same time, the gig was going to be up, right? And what I also know from you folks in Alcoholics Anonymous is that a clear conscience makes for a soft pillow. And I had anything but that. So you're darn right. I knew deep down inside that that boogie woogie rumble that lives deep down when nobody's around and the lights are off, that my whole life was, I was a fraud. I was a hypocrite. I wasn't what was on that resume.
1: So I I want to go back just a little bit before we go forward. Uh, And because I have heard you tell the story before of being on a bus when you were in uh, third, fourth grade, something of that nature. Do you know what I'm referring to?
0: I sure do. That goes back to my, uh, that first experience with alcohol on that school bus, right? When my parents sent me to that school in third grade, um, I I don't know what they do in Texas or wherever the listeners are listening from. But in Maryland, there is a social hierarchy on the school bus where the older kids sit in the back of the school bus. And if you're a younger kid and you go back to the school bus, you get beat up. Right. And and the school, there was a kid on that school bus. His name was Reed. And Reed's job was to beat me up every day for something (laughs) or another. Right. And I thought the school assigned him to me. Right. Like this is your designated butt kicker. And, uh, and Reed was good at his job, man. And, uh, and there was also this girl on the school bus. Her name was Nikki. And Nikki was smoking hot. And I had no idea how to talk to Nikki or any other girl for that matter, right? I'm just a little dorky kid, right? But I like Nikki. And, uh, and that day I told you about what happened when I was in seventh grade is this guy Reed had been kicking my butt for years. And now I'm in seventh grade, and those guys said, you want to skip last class and do some drinking? And I said, you bet. And we did some drinking. And as I got that booze in me, I get on that school bus, and something happened inside of me where I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk to the back of that bus, and I'm going to sit next to Nikki. And I somehow magically, right? knew how to handle this situation with women that used to baffle me with just all the only thing that had changed in my life was the addition of beverage alcohol. And all of a sudden, I magically I intuitively knew how to handle a situation which used to baffle me women. And I walk to the back of the bus and I'm going to sit next to Nikki because I'm comfortable doing it. And as Reed gets up from his seat to give me my daily beating, I punch him with everything I've got in my little body and Reed goes down and out. He is unconscious on that bus seat. And I sit down next to Nikki and I'm looking at Nikki and Nikki's looking at me and I'm looking at Nikki, Nikki's looking at me. And the whole school bus got really, really quiet. I mean, it was silent. You could have heard a pin drop. And in that silence, I experienced Long, long, long overdue recognition, right? Like finally, you know who I am. It was long overdue respect, right? And what I didn't know was that I had a six, seven year resentment built up at Reed, and it felt really good to get that resentment out. I don't think I did it the AA way, but I did it. There's lots of ways to express <laughs> a resentment, and uh, and then we got to Nikki's bus stop, and when before Nikki got up to get off the bus. She leaned over and she gave me this kiss that was half on my lips and half on my cheek. It was different than when my mother and my aunts ever kissed me. I felt it in my toes, man. It was something else. And she got off that school bus and I ended up, you know, when we got to my stop, I uh, went into my house and I was falling down drunk in a house of people that don't drink and have morality and integrity. I got sick all night. My parents left me in the bathroom to get sick. Right. They were going to try to teach me a lesson that was going to become a common theme. A whole bunch of, you know, well-meaning people were going to try to teach me a lesson as I, you know, cruise the road of life. And, uh, but I woke up that next morning sick as a dog. I had a stiff neck from sleeping around the toilet, the way that we do. And, and my neck hurt. And I just, I don't ever remember being sicker to that point in my life. And I was grounded forever, which is a very severe punishment for a seventh <laughs> grader. It's like life without parole for the prison guys, right? You don't know when you're getting out. and uh, and under that set of you know feelings and facts in my life, grounded forever, sick as a dog, the thought comes into my mind, Are you ever gonna do any more of that drinking? And just like that, you bet, you bet I am. Are you kidding? Sick as a dog and grounded forever? what a small price to pay for what I had going on on that school bus and that silence and that respect. And I was finally somebody and that kiss with Nikki. I mean, the magic of alcohol was set in flight like a boomerang as bill says, right? And it was going to give me so much for so long as that boomerang went out. But one day it was going to turn in flight and come back and nearly shred me to ribbons. And it sure did. It sure did. John.
1: (sighs) We will be continuing our conversation with Rich in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. You can also find the Donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Soberspeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. Now, back to Rich. All right. So I I, I got you off track when you were in college. Uh, You were going back and forth across the border. Take me from there.
0: Well, first of all, that's Everybody likes the bus story, John. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> likes the bus. It's funny. I've gotten to go different places in AA and visit our friends all more than anything else. For some reason, people are like, tell us about Nikki. Tell us about Nikki. I'm like, right. So look, I I'm I like, do I'm have a thing about God and a spiritual awakening and some amazing things in my life. And they want to talk about a girl in seventh grade. So I certainly understand. And I think it's because we've all had that moment.
1: Well, let me, let me give you a little follow-up question with Nikki and Reed. Have you ever encountered them as an adult?
0: Ironically, um, in the last year and a half, as fate will have it, um, I have learned that Nikki, um, is a judge. I'm not going to name where in the state of Maryland, and we have, uh, Gotten together, she has children and daughters, and I have daughters, and we have gotten together. She's, you know, I'm happily married. She's happily married, uh, but we have been able to rekindle and tell the stories of <laughs> our. Scary. She ended up being my first, my first girlfriend. So we we had quite a few. <laughs> Um, you know, early in life, wonderful memories together. So it was. Does she
1: realize that she, her, she is famous in some former fashion in the AA circles?
0: She she does not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, this doesn't make it back to her. <laughs>
0: we'll leave. We'll leave her last name out of it.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. All right. So let's go on from there. You're you're in uh, San Diego. You're. Doing your thing with the the uh, entrepreneurship that you got going. Uh, Take me from there. I'm I'm
0: playing soccer. I'm counseling kids. I'm drinking my head off. I'm I'm, uh, you know importing dry. Switched um, you know halfway through college from you know, the green stuff to the white stuff. It was just a lot more money. Uh, by my senior year, um, I had purchased my first home in La Jolla, California at a beach called wind and sea beach because it's the best surf spot in the world. Uh, I that that's not true. I didn't mean to say that it's the best surf spot in Southern California. Some might say in the United States, I don't know. Uh obviously when we go to Hawaii, you're talking some better waves, but the continental US, it's a pretty consistent surf spot. But yeah, but interesting- you
1: are a senior in college Correct. and you've just bought a home in La Jolla, Correct. which is not inexpensive whatsoever. So, and do you have any other employment besides your no? Okay. No. And when you have to, and when, so I'm just curious when you go to buy a home like that and you know, you're, you're, you have to go through the quality, you know, the, the qualification portion and all that sort of stuff. Do they make you verify where this is coming or as long as you can give cash, they don't care.
0: That's how it was then. Now the, uh, the rules of the game have changed.
1: <laughs> all right. So yeah. you've bought your home, uh, and, uh, you're dealing with the white stuff now. Yep, and
0: um, and I'm driving a fancy car, a you know a BMW with a number on the back that that lets all the BMW aficionados know that this is one of the ones you have to have imported from Europe. That they don't sell this in the United States. Uh, I'm dating a girl at that university that everybody thought was like the most beautiful girl at the school. I have no idea if I even liked her, right? Because that's how i'm living my life at that point is to impress people i barely know uh everything is on the outside because it's all i have there's nothing left on the inside i mean i was coming down to it and i didn't know it uh and when there's nothing inside you got to double down on the outside right um I, there's a saying i like that if you don't project it you don't have to protect it right and i was all about protecting an image uh and projecting an image and when we don't go through life with those you know, false selves, we don't waste as much time and energy protecting it. But that's a whole nother story. But it's certainly what I was doing. And I didn't know I was doing it. Um, I guess just to get sober here, as I watched the time tick away by my senior year, uh, I don't surf anymore, even though I live by this great surf spot, because my alcoholism had progressed to the point where. Uh, when you drink like I do, that's all you do. And I don't know what your listeners know about surfing, but surfing is really good early in the morning uh, when the wind blows offshore from the land to the sea and it holds the wave up and makes the top of the wave blow back and create those beautiful tube rides you see in the movies. And that all ends by about 9 a.m. because the wind generally shifts direction and comes from the sea to the to the land. And um, there's more of a surf lesson than anyone wanted. But, um, the point of it is, is alcoholism took from me, or I gave to it, however you like to say it, um, every single joy, passion, everything that brought me a true sense of joy internally, right? I surrendered to my alcoholism. And, uh, and and, I, it w- It was awful, it was awful. It's about four thirty in the morning that poor girl was at my house, and all the doors and windows boom 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 came in and the next thing you know i'm I'm getting hog tied with those plastic zip ties that are worse than the handcuffs i'd I'd been arrested a lot like I told you in, in high school and uh and I specialize in like weekends in jail, thirty days in jail uh sixty days in jail uh, I'm a jail guy, you know I'm not a prison guy um in, in Maryland, jail is sentences uh, up to 18 months. So after 18 months, you go to prison. Uh, prison always represented more of a commitment than I was willing to make. I've always struggled uh, with commitment on all levels, John. And, uh, and Those prison guys were in for a longer haul than I was looking for. Um However, this comes down to that wisdom versus being a rememberer, right? Because my sponsor pointed out to me when we did my fifth step and looked at all the times that I had been incarcerated for 30 days, 90 days, violated probation, got 60 days. He said, you do realize you were serving a life sentence. You were just doing it on the installment program and you were too (laughs) stupid to realize it, right? And, uh, so that's a good example about just because you can remember something from a book, right? In my mind, I was beating the game because I'm getting these small sentences, I'm beating distribution charges, right? And getting simple possession charges and drunk in public, I'm getting 30 days instead of 90 days. And in my delusional alcoholic mind, I think I'm winning, right? I think I'm winning. And really, I'm spending a good chunk of my life behind bars. And, uh, and now for the first time, I'm in a federal prison. I'd never been in a federal prison. Uh, I'd never been in any prison. Right. And, uh, and the San Diego union tribune, the Los Angeles times, they ran a story, uh, that said Jesuit student, 27 kilos of cocaine. Uh, and I know that because my mom was an elementary school teacher. And I don't know what you know about elementary school teachers, but they laminate everything. If you set (laughs) them if you set a piece of paper down on the counter, they pick it up and laminate it. Uh, so my mother, you know, laminated these articles about her son, I think, so that one day she could present me with, you know, the, the news. And, uh, but anyways, there's a thing called the federal sentencing guidelines, where they look at the number of times that you've, you know, been convicted, uh, and what you had with you. And then there's a number and the judge is actually not Free to do whatever. Everybody has a boss. Even federal judges have a boss. And those federal sentencing guidelines, I'd been arrested uh, 36 prior times, all for stupid stuff. Nothing that would impress any listener that you have. Nobody would go, Wow, there's a real gangster. You know, let's make a movie about it. He's like Jesse James. They would go, What an idiot, right? If you read my rap, sheet, you would go, What a drunk, right? But to, my. my NCIC, which is the national criminal index, it's your, your FBI background. It should just say drunk and stupid at the time, right? (laughs) But the federal judge has to count all of those. And then he goes over to 27 kilos of cocaine and he came down and it said 46 to 60 years. And that's what he was supposed to send that. Yeah. Oh, you're telling me, uh, that (laughs) caught my attention. That caught my attention. And, um, and that was the beginning of, of my awakening because for the very first time in that facility, I think uh, it's called MCC, the Metropolitan Correction Center in downtown San Diego. It's a big brown building. If uh, you have any West Coast listeners, uh, there's a tourist point for you there in downtown San Diego. You could drive by and go, there's (laughs) Richard's prison. Uh, But anyways, (laughs) I'm in this place and I'm the only guilty guy in there, right? There's like 1,299 innocent guys. And they're all telling me the reasons that they're in there. It's one big misunderstanding, and if, you know. One guy's telling me that he's in there because of his mechanic, and if his mechanic you know, had fixed his taillight correctly on his car, the cop would have never pulled him over in the first place. And when the cop pulled him over, he smelled the alcohol on his breath, asked him to step out of the car, arrested him for the DUI, searched the trunk incident to arrest. That's where they found all the drugs. So you can see if I get out of here and I find that mechanic, we're going to get this straightened out because uh-huh. he's the real reason I'm in here. Uh And if you hook that guy up to a lie detector test, he'll pass it. He absolutely believes. And that's what our book talks about. That's delusion. That's not denial. That's delusion. Right. And for the very first time in my life, I was out of lies to tell myself. Right. I was out of lies to tell myself. And I realized that I was where I was because of who I was. And I was who I was because of how I live. And I'm going to repeat that because I don't think I've ever had such an insight that I was where I was because of who I was, and I was who I was because of how I live. That means that my tombstone is not going to say, here lies Rich B, he meant well, right? (laughs) And AA is really big on that. Like, we don't care if you like our steps. We don't care if you think they should be renumbered. We don't care if you think we should change the wording in the book. You know, we just care what you do, right? We all carry the AA message when absolutely necessary. We use our mouth. You know, what I'm doing today is the least potent form of AA. My home group could care less that I'm on a podcast. In fact, they'd probably make fun of me if they knew I was doing this, right? But (laughs) if I'm not there on Thursday night to make coffee, I'm going to hear about it, right? So it's our feet that do our talking in AA. And uh, in other words, my life is nothing but the sum total of my actions, and my intentions just don't matter. And my whole life, it was, you know, hey, John, you don't understand, I meant well. I didn't mean for this to happen. Here's what I wanted to have, you know, just, just listen, right? and that's the problem anybody that's ever been in trouble if you look at your criminal history you'll notice if you're an alcoholic there's a problem right and it's that there's just one line right because under each of those things they should have left space for a paragraph right because i've got an explanation for each of them and they don't care about the explanation they just care what you know what it was and if you're like me i had a story and an explanation and an excuse for everything and for the first time in my life I didn't, and I realized I was exactly where my actions had brought me.
1: Hmm. So, was this so, your first entree so into, so into so the so rooms so or exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous? And how did that start to take off from there?
0: I was exposed to it in that in that penitentiary. Um, did did some time in there and came out it didn't take um i remember just so the listeners know how i think it's kind of funny that i was offended by step two right which sort of inferred that i might mentally be a little bit off that i i needed some restoring to sanity which you know if you're any type of thinker which is an awful thing i i I don't wish thinking on anyone Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, if if you're that type of person, I mean, clearly they're implying, right, that I have some type of sanity issue if I'm going to require being restored to sanity, right? The inference is there that something's off. And (laughs) I'm sitting in an AA meeting in a federal penitentiary looking at 46 to 60 years and two guys like you took the time away from their wives and family to come in to bring a meeting. They're going home that night. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm sitting there in that meeting going, man, I felt sorry for him. I'm going, man, these two guys, dear God, one day I'm going to get out of here, but they can never drink again. And I would go back to myself feeling sorry for the two guys from AA that came in because I may do 46 years, but damn it, one day when I get out of here, I'm going to be able to drink again. And those two poor suckers, they're never going to be able to drink again. (laughs) <laughs> so I eventually get out of there and, um, and I'm bouncing around because I'm like a man without a country. Um, I'd love to tell you that AA, what it did is uh, I have a friend uh, named Mike B from uh, North Carolina, but he talks about being boogered by AA, right? And what that means is once you hear the AA message and you have a clear presentation of what alcoholism is and our way out, Right. It's like when a little kid or somebody puts a booger on you, you can't get that booger off. You know, once you've been boogered, I mean, they just kind of stick to you. And (laughs) and so what they did is they boogered me in that penitentiary. And I could always hear those guys, those two pathetic losers that could never, ever drink again. Their voices just kept coming up as I would bounce around the country, trying to stay one step ahead of my alcoholism. Uh, I couldn't stay in San Diego. I I had just lost 27 kilos of cocaine. There was a lot of people looking for me for a lot of reasons. (laughs) I went to a little town called Ketchum, Idaho, and I'm kind of hiding out, but if you're like me, and uh, I, I call myself a warrant drinker, right? When I when I drink in the same town long enough, warrants pop up, right? And uh, <laughs> and I got to go somewhere else. So I went from Sun, you know, Ketchum, Sun Valley, Idaho, over to a town called Steamboat, Colorado. From there to Jackson, Wyoming, and. I eventually wind up where all big shot want to be, you know, federal drug dealers wind up once the federal government, they had seized every house, car, bank account. I had nothing. I mean, alcohol owned me lock, stock and barrel. And I winded up where all the big shots wind up. And that's back on my mom's couch, right? In uh-huh. Ocean City, Maryland. <laughs> and uh And every time I tell that, there's always a bunch of people nodding their heads because it turns out that mom's couch is like one of the leading places to begin sobriety. And and there's only one rule at mom's couch, right? And we all know it. You can stay here as long as you want, Rich, as long as you don't drink. And if you would hooked me up to that lie detector, when I looked at that lady, I couldn't believe she was bringing me in one more time. And I said, mom, I mean business. I'm never going to do this again. And, uh, and then I decided to start going to those AA meetings that I'd heard about. Cause I, it was clear to me. I mean, you guys boogered me that if this, it was the only thing that was going to work. Right. And, and I go in there and I didn't like it. And there was this one woman in particular that I didn't care for. Her name was Janine and Janine. She had about 16, 17 years sober when we met and I'm brand new. And and she would always carry, you know, the big book with her to every meeting, that blue book. She had it with her under her arm. And there was always six or seven little girls following her around. And she didn't call her sponsees, sponsees. The old timers in my area, they will call somebody they sponsor their pigeons. She didn't call them pigeons. She called them duckies. And I thought that was so repulsive, right? It just made me want to vomit, right? (laughs) And just like cutesy, right? And I don't do cutesy. And uh, so she'd come in with her book under her arm. And there'd be about six little girls with their little books under their arms. And they'd all sit down in a line. Uh, and I'm thinking like, what's wrong with you? Are you a little bit slow in the head? Like what? You're 16 years sober. Haven't you read it yet? Cause I mean, I read a book once and I remember what's in it. Right. So I don't understand what's wrong with her. Why somebody that's been coming here for 16 years would have to bring the book to every meeting. Right. So I'm confused. I don't like her. I mostly don't like her cause she's smiling and happy. Right. And when I'm miserable, I want to punch the teeth right down somebody's throat, right. That's smiling and happy. And that was my experience with, with, Janine and these duckies. I made it to 36 days, John, without drinking, which is a long time for an alcoholic of my variety. Uh, no sponsor, no steps, right? Not nothing. Just, just not drinking. I I can, I'm so smart. I can read those steps and know what they require without the help of a sponsor and they don't apply to me. Right. And that's the problem of being a self-defined genius, right? That, I. (laughs) I'm so cool that I'm dying in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I'm so smart that I know what I need to do and don't need to do. I can look at the steps and see which ones of them apply to me and which ones don't. uh, And I'm dying. And at 36 days, um, I, I had also, I was 29 years old. I'd had my liver biopsied at Johns Hopkins Hospital. They took a big chunk out of my liver, right? And that's a hint that if anybody's listening to this, if they're, if they're removing pieces of your liver at 29 years old, right, your drinking might be a problem. Uh, but I don't clue into that, right? I'm just a rememberer. I can remember things in a book, but these common sense things escape me, right? And. We- which is why I just keep hearing my sponsor wanting to jump in. He's not smart. He just <laughs> remembers things, right? And, and it's just so true, right? Because he gave me a list. He said, you're young enough that if you, number one, you will not take any Tylenol for one year. law is the worst thing for your liver. It will shut it down. You're going to eat these foods. You're going to not eat these foods and you're going to come back every 60 days. And we're going to do this scan on the liver. And we're going to, y- you've got a chance at this if you just listen. And I leave that hos- Johns Hopkins. I mean, it is like a world renowned. And I, my thought is, well, what does that guy know? Right. And uh, <laughs> seriously, I, li- you know who I listen to? I listen to bartenders and drug dealers. I mean, these are the guys <laughs> that know stuff, right. They, and, and the bartender usually has one solution to whatever's going on. Oh, John, you just got divorced. Here's a double. Right. Right. Oh, you just got married. Here's a double. Right. Oh, you got a (laughs) raise. Here's a double. Oh, you got fired. Here's a double. They got the same stupid solution to every problem. Right. And it turns out that AA has the same solution to every problem. You know, hey, we've got a step for whatever's going on. Right. We've got a step for it. And uh, anyways, at 36 days without a drink, I can't go one more day without drinking. And I know that I can't take so much as one more drink. So I take Thailand law I can get a hold of and uh, and anything else that was in that medicine cabinet and I just wanted to check out and my body collapsed in the kitchen I was living in a crappy little apartment at that point because that's where drunks live as crappy apartments and my body I mean this is amazing to me I've learned this uh, you know after obviously when my body fell I fell into a refrigerator that thudded up against that crappy wall and it was a Tuesday the lady that lived in the apartment next door was one of those people that like pride themselves on never missing work. Um, There's not many of those out here in your listeners. I guarantee that that's just (laughs) not a defining trait of the alcoholic. It's like an excellent work attendance record, right? And, And even caring about it, nonetheless, priding ourselves on it. But this weirdo next door was one of those ladies and she hadn't missed a day's work in nine years, but she happened to be on sick that day. And she heard that thud into the wall and it scared her. And she ran around and she looked through the door and she saw feet on the ground, you know, and legs on the ground. And she dialed 911 and they busted in and, uh, and saved my life. They took me to the Atlantic General Hospital and um, I woke up. And I was hooked up to all kinds of tubes and things were beeping. And I was in one of those paper gowns that tie in the back, but kind of separate so that your butt cheeks hang out. (laughs) I mean, for a vain person, it's not a good look, right? (laughs) And and I had this feeling, right? That, man, you are such a loser. You can't even kill yourself the right way. And as my eyes cleared and I became a little clear head, the first thing I see, you know who's at the end of the bed? (laughs) Janine with about oh, six of those duckies Duckies. and I couldn't even believe it. I'm thinking to myself, if there's a place called alcoholic hell, I'm in it, man. <laughs> and, uh, and Janine didn't talk to me that day because she tried to talk to me a lot at the meetings, but she did talk to the duckies and she said, girls, I want you to take a good look. This is what happens to an alcoholic that refuses to take our steps. Let's oh. go girls. And they all
1: uh, walked out. Oh no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was it that was it you just heard you just heard the bottom right there and, okay. uh, and i was i was i was pissed because bill wilson he got in his hospital room the bright light the cool breeze and i got janine in the doctor <laughs>
1: that's just not right <laughs> all right rich so uh, we're going we're definitely gonna have to have you back on, right? We can't leave the listeners just kind of hanging on there with Janine and the duckies and you bottoming out. Uh, so let's go ahead and end it here, and and I will talk to you offline. And if you are willing. Uh, We'll get you back on and you can talk about your foray into the room. Well, you've already been exposed, but uh, I think what happens from here is you bottom out and you're going to start getting sober. Am I right?
0: And if I may say what happened next. Yeah, sure. Is after they left that hospital room, I had a thought. Come through my head that I have never had before in my life, and I've never had since. And that thought that went through my head was if you live through this, if you get out of this hospital, I'm going to find one of those old guys with that big book in their hand and that smile on their face, and I'm going to do every single thing that's in that book. And in case anybody can't tell, I'm not a guy that listens to anybody. So I have no idea where that thought came from. I got a pretty good idea now, 17 years later. But that's what you're going to hear about next time is I left that hospital with that single thought is I'm going to do what one of those old guys in AA tell me. And that was the beginning of the best 17 years of my life. Ah.
1: Man, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you have been given a gift, my friend, uh, to share your story. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, getting some more time together. So I always ended here with, uh, by reading from uh, page 164 of the big book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past." Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Rich, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Rich, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. As I mentioned on the beginning of this episode, we will have a follow up with Rich B next week. It is, he is absolutely fantastic. And I know you're going to enjoy the follow up next week. So tune in once again for Rich's, for the second part of Rich's story, uh, next week. Now on, oh, and by the way, if you enjoyed that and who would not have Anyway, and you want to get in touch with Rich, uh, send me an email, uh, John, J O H N, at soberspeak.com. I'm glad to pass that on. And then uh, keep this in mind. Also, if you enjoyed that and you think that a friend or a family member may uh, benefit from listening in, well, pause your little device and hit that little share button and uh, send it on over to that friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Yes, I'm talking about this day. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Wendy writes in and she says, Hello, John M. I live in a little town called Los Angeles. Osos, California. I'm 72 days sober and I found your podcast on Spotify and I am hooked. (laughs) I I started on episode 200, 201, 202, and 203 and then I decided to go back to number one and to listen to them all and uh, I find it a great help and peace in hearing all of the stories. Like when at meetings, I don't feel alone. Oh, great. She says, I listen while at work in my ear while doing some of the mindless work I do. Laugh out loud. Thank you so much for your amazing show, Wendy H. Well, thank you for listening in, Wendy. Wendy, and I'm glad we can be part of your journey. Ryan White writes in and he says, greetings, John. I am currently in Knoxville, Tennessee. You know what, Ryan? I actually lived in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee for a little stint when I was doing my uh, uh, geographical cures during the drinking days. But anyway, he says, my sobriety date is August 1st, 2018. Let me think about this, Ryan. I think I went um, to immediate, I, I was going in and out of the program at the time, and I just couldn't stay sober. And there was a little kind of town on the outskirts of uh, Knoxville that I lived in. It started with a, I think it's Cedar something, and I can't remember. You may know what I'm talking about, but nonetheless, I remember to go into a lot of meetings there. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't stick for me at the time, but I kept trying. Anyway, Ryan says, I came upon the podcast by chance, really. It was during the first part of the pandemic when we were encouraged, to stay in place, I did meetings via Zoom, but needed something in between meetings to get me through. Lo and behold, I found sober speak. Of course, the speakers resonate with me. We we have all been in the same place, powerless. Yes, we have, Ryan. He says, I get a great deal from your conversations. It's comforting. Thank you so much for what you provide to us. Keep on going on. Keep on keeping on, he says. Peace, Ryan C. Well, I'm holding up the little peace sign right back at you, Ryan. Uh, I appreciate you writing in. Uh, Damini writes in. Oh, this was kind of a back and forth deal. I remember this here. Dem- I, th- I hope I, I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She's from uh, Germany. She says, hi, my name is Damini and I have been an Al-Anon for a long time. As part of a well-rounded program, I listen to your podcast daily. I was in a spiritual hole at 10 years in recovery and your podcast has been a pillar on my way out to see the light again. In your words, John... God bless you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I do say that a lot. She says, I am actually writing to extend the hand of Al-Anon and Alatine On your podcast number 187 with Matthew M with, on Surrenders 10 and 11, a woman wrote in sharing that her husband had left her and her five kids. You may have already shared with her Al-Anon details, uh, but just in case she may need it, here are... Uh, mine. I am in Germany, but, but I have a sponsor in a huge Al-Anon community in the U.S. that I will, that, and I will warmly welcome her. I am Damini. She gives her last name here and her WhatsApp number. And she says, thank you so much. And I look forward to your next listen. And I wrote her back. And sometimes I have a hard time finding these, uh, these, uh, the listener feedback. You know, we get a lot of it. And I'd ask her if she could tell me in the episode, you know, what the name of the lady was. and. All that, so I could look it up, and then she wrote me back, and she says, "Apologize for the many emails, but after I wrote you, I heard another message from a woman worried about her alcoholic husband, and I just wanted to say that you can feel free to share my details with anyone who may need Alanon and or Alatine." Have a lovely day, Domeni, and she. Oh, how sweet, right? And so, this lady's name that she was asking about originally, her name was Elizabeth. So I found her; it was on Instagram. And I I asked her if it was okay for me to pass her email on to Domini. And she said, sure. And she gave me her email address. She goes, just so you know, I listen to your podcast almost every day. What you do with your guests is so necessary. I have learned so much. And then she says, unfortunately, my husband and I are going through a divorce now. He got physical with me, among many other things. And I knew it was time to let him go. My kids have listened to a few shows with me as well, and it has given them a greater understanding about their father. Thanks again, John. God is using you in great ways. She's got namaste hands and a big heart, and God bless you, Elizabeth, and you, Damini, and I love that the listeners are looking out for each other and offering their time and service and connections, and that's exactly what I wanted to happen with this whole podcast thing, and I'm, uh, I'm just... Uh, I'm thrilled uh, when I get emails like that. And, uh, you know, I think it's really cool, Elizabeth, that you and your kids are listening to this. So just in case they happen to be listening to this right now, I want to give them a big shout out and tell them that they are in my prayers. uh, And God bless them and uh, you and your whole family, including your husband. um, I I know this has to be a difficult time. Once again, God bless you all. Thank you very much. Allison writes in, and the the uh, title of this, the subject line was Listening to Aspen Jack W at Sunrise. Let me do that again. Listening to Aspen Jack W at Sunrise. And then she wrote in. She says, hello, John. I started listening to Sober Speak in April of 2020 when it was recommended to me by a sponsor. I am a Grateful Alanon, and I've always enjoyed listening. This week, I was in Galveston. I was just there recently after uh, Miss Allison. Anyway, she says, this week I was in Galveston, just for those of you don't know, that's in Texas, visiting my alcoholic sibling who has been hospitalized for the last month due to health complications from this disease. My sponsor recommended that I could catch a meeting while I was visiting him. I searched for Al-Anon meetings and I but could find only an open AA meeting and found a perfect time, 6.30 a.m. on a Sunday, a sunrise meeting on the seawall. How perfect. I had never been to an AA meeting and was really looking forward to it. I had my coffee in hands and my $2 in my pocket for the basket passing, but unfortunately, oh no, nobody showed up. I was disappointed. But guess what? I decided not to let the time go to waste. So I plugged in Sober Speak podcast on my iPhone and I walked the beach at sunrise while listening to Aspen Jack W. He said so many things I needed to hear and to hear little Abigail's favorite color was orange got me a little choked up as that is my brother's favorite color as well. I'm not sure if he's going to make it through his current battles. If he does, I hope that he can find not only relief, but freedom, as Jack put it. Thanks to you for your encouraging words and for so many willing guests like Jack who share their experience, strength, and hope with the world. Keep doing what you're doing. God bless, Allison. And so, just so you know, Allison... I sent on your, uh, the text of your message to Jack W and he sent me back a message saying that that brought him to tears. So thank you for sharing that. We're all in one big circle here encouraging each other. And I really do appreciate that. Allison, no, not that Allison, but another Allison writes in. My goodness, it's a Allison Palooza here. Allison writes in. She says, I live in the United States near New York. I have 21 months. Uh, as of the first of this month, I have been dropped by many sponsors and have never really finished the steps. I always tend to stop on step, step six. So there is that I found sober speak last year, uh, after doing a search on uh, through all my podcasts on an app, this podcast is my absolute favorite. I re listen to them each and every day. The speakers shares are just amazing. I got my sober. I got sober on my own back on one one of twenty twenty, January first of twenty twenty, and I just sought out AA persons. Uh, AA. Oh, I just sought out AA in person uh, meetings online, Zoom, which meets this March because of reasons. Then she says, Claudia H., she's talking about somebody who we've had on the podcast in the past with three exclamation points. I wish there were more of her on this podcast, her words, her life. She is an incredibly strong woman. Thank you for listening. Take care and stay safe. Allison K. Well, thank you, Allison. And as you know, I passed on your message to Claudia. Uh, it's always, I always love when I hear feedback on the various speakers that we have. Gaston writes in, and I, I think it's Gaston, is a G-A-S-T-O-N. He says, hi, John, I'm an alcoholic and a pot and cocaine addict. I'm from Mexico City, Mexico City, Mexico. And he says, my family on my mother's side is from Costa Rica. I went to high school, two years of college in Connecticut, Boston, and New Orleans. I have two mortal diseases, alcoholism and cancer. He said, I heard about Sober Speak through my brother in law who was in and out of AA. I have been sober since May of 2013. I was in rehab in the Monte phoenix clinic in mexico city thanks to my family who gave me an intervention in my first year i worked with tommy rosen and kia miller in a yoga and addictions retreat in costa rica yes i know them i think his podcast uh, for those of you who would be interested in it is called recovery 2.0 um and uh, i know exactly who you're talking about in fact i uh, you know, I, I I do yoga on a consistent basis, and Kia Miller is one, and that's his wife, by the way. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I um I, I do her classes all the time at night. So anyway, I have familiarity with what you're talking about. He says my life has been transformed, and I'm grateful for it. I was diagnosed with stage four cancer in January of 2020, and I have been through chemo, radiation, and two colon surgeries. I am in remission since March. Well, good for you, Gaston. I don't know how I could have done it without my work in the program and my daily practice, which also consists of yoga, Qi Kung, prayer, and meditation. Now, I don't know what Qi Kung is, but. I'm going to have to look that up because uh, you are talking my language here. He says, Every single day, I am grateful to be alive. I have three sons, two of them in recovery. Gaston is eight years sober and Joaquin, three years sober. I am active in my AA group in uh, Mexico City and I keep very close in touch with the Monte Phoenix Clinic. I listen to Sober Speak fairly often and I've enjoyed it a lot. It's been so helpful being a part of this large community thank you guest one day at a time guest stone with well, thank you guest stone i really appreciate it and uh thanks for being vulnerable and sharing what you do Joni writes in and she says hi um john uh I love the podcast and thank you for your service. I discovered it through the Recovery Show podcast. Yes, my friend Spencer. She says, I think Spencer spoke on your show one time and I listened to that episode and then have listened to every one since. Yeah, I actually had him on by himself and then I've had him and his wife on at the same time. She says, I used to, oh, I think uh, I used to commute two hours a day by car, so Would listen only on my drives. I love listening as always, having great speakers. I always get so much out of it. I recently listened to Father Bill W. and was very interested in his uh, discussion about two way prayer. So I have now started listening to his podcast and information on how to do two way praying. Oh, that's great. But there have been so many other great speakers I have heard. I live outside of New York City, New York, in Westchester County. I'm married and I have an 11 year old son. I've been sober almost 10 years nine months nine years and ten months exactly. She says um, I'm gratefully sober when that I got sober when my son was just a baby. I'm married to someone in the rooms and so we are trudging the road of happy destiny together. Thank you again for the podcast. This is my meeting when I can't get to one in person or Zoom. I really appreciate the service that you do. Best, Joni. Well, thank you, Joni. I appreciate it. Anthony writes in. He says, hey, I am. Hey, John M. I am fairly new to my sober journey. I started drinking on September 10th, not drinking every day is not the problem for me. It's the weekends when I binge to drink. I got into that habit since I've been a truck driver, uh, local, uh, on the road, Ever since I was 20, I think is what he says. And for the past 17 years, I have worked Monday through Friday. And then on Friday on my way home from work, I always get a bottle. And there's been stretches in there where I have stopped for a couple of months just to make sure I was in control. But over the past four years, I have tried to stop and to make sure I was in control and haven't been able to. And I noticed I started to black out more and more. And that scared me. So I reach out through kaiser and started their outpatient program today good for you anthony he says and since i'm a truck driver oh i think i know where you're going with this i listen to tons of podcasts yay i searched for alcoholics anonymous podcast and i listened to a couple of other ones and they weren't bad but i but when i listened to the latest one with anna d i really liked it anthony well i'm so glad anthony and uh you keep on keeping on out there while you're doing that truck driving and uh I'm glad we can, uh, uh, accompany you along the way. Last but not least, Barry writes in, he says, Hey John, I live in the Dallas, Texas area. I've been in recovery for a number of years from alcohol and drugs. I have been mostly sober since 2018. I've had a shoe, shoe, A few short relapses, but have quickly got back on track. Progress, not perfection. That's right, Barry. Many of the speakers on Sober Speak have resonated with me. The Anna David interview I listened to yesterday inspired me to join the secret group. Thanks for all your service. Best regards, Barry. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Barry, by the way, for writing in. I appreciate you. That does it for another week of Sober Speak. As always, I do this one week at a time. Hope to be back next week. God only knows. Until then, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Love you guys, and thanks for listening in.